Welcome to another episode of Teen People. My name is Anna Soper, and I'm a writer, artist, and librarian from Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Today, I'm talking with Lisa Wong Macabasco, who is in Teen People's August 1999 issue. Lisa graduated from UC Berkeley and Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. Today, she works for Vogue.com, where she has reported on the Oscars, Fashion Week, food culture, and U.S. politics. She's also written stories for Vanity Fair, Mother Jones, Slate, and Bon Appetit. Lisa spoke with me from her home in New York, where she lives with her partner and a trio of foster cats. We talked about 90s fashion, her brush with NSYNC, and our mutual appreciation for Adam Driver. Nice to meet you, Lisa. Nice to meet you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> I listened to the first episode and then the most recent episode, um, on, like on my run last night. And um, the last woman, Daniela, Daniela? Diana. Diana. She was awesome. Awesome. I was like, wow, I need to look her up and like follow her. And because I mean, like we're both from San Francisco too. That was a great episode. Thank you. I loved talking with her. And I was thinking about that too, that you're both from San Francisco. Every person I've talked with has just been revelatory in, in different ways. Um, great. Yeah. And, and I just, I also kind of like this ability to connect with people who are totally separate, strangers to each other, strangers to me. Um, but you have this common thread that you were all connected through Teen People magazine. It's so weird because, like, I never think about it. I never think about it. <laughs> like, I've been with my partner for 10 years, and he says I've never mentioned it once. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, but that's how I met NSYNC. And they were like, uh, no, you never. Like, like it, it never comes up. It just would never come up. So I love um, being able to, like, go down memory lane and, like, really jog my memory and think about what that time was like and, like, what that experience was like. But otherwise, I really never think about it. So it's funny to, to like re remember, like, yeah, you are connected to all these other people in this network, um, even if it's not on your mind day to day. <laughs> so great that like um, people kept them. I, I think that's what speak, that's like speaks the loudest to how much the magazine meant to people that like someone kept them. Like <laughs> that really blows my mind. Um, but I think also, you know, when you're a teenager, you, you're in the habit of keeping things that are important to you. So like, obviously these issues meant something to whoever kept that box in that house or like you, you, right. You said that you kept your issues. Yeah. Too. yeah. I mean, that really blows my mind that, that feel that's like the most moving thing actually about this whole thing. <laughs> Aw, thank you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been touching to, uh, to connect with th these teen people and to see that so many of them have kept their magazines too, specifically the ones that they were in. Um, and, uh, and then, so then that sort of brought up a whole conversation with, with each of those people about why they've kept the, the, the magazine and what the magazine meant to them, what it felt like to be a teenager and to see yourself in a magazine in a, in a, an era when we were already shifting at that point from print to digital. Um, right. So I've had conversations with people about that, uh, that, that sort of that um, nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about was um, media made by young people. Um, I feel like teen people was one of the first times there were young people not only being featured in an entire publication throughout the whole publication, but um, content created by young people. And I feel like that was the beginning of that. Um, whereas before, maybe it was content created by slightly older adults. Um, and, and now to us, it's so normal that there would be content created by young people. Like that's what TikTok is all about, or like yeah. that's, what almost anything is all about like yeah young people anyone can can make their own content but I think um for young people especially it's open doors that that weren't open before um it the internet the internet has open doors that weren't open before but also teen people was at the beginning of that um maybe young people can write their own stories and tell their own stories in a print publication so yeah. that's what I think. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really good insight. And from some of the research that I've done, um, reading about how teen people was created and what their, their motivations were, that was it specifically. They didn't want to be a bunch of 30 and 40 year olds, which they were 20 years ago. 
um, talking to teenagers and writing about what teenagers would find interesting. They wanted to be a conduit to actually hear first-person experiences from teenagers. Um, and right. that was the premise of the story that, that I have that you were in um, because it is called Inside Saturday Night. It says, Monday morning emails from members of our news team always contain tantalizing hints of big weekend adventures. Curious to know more, we asked our reporters to describe a typical Saturday night. 22 bulletins came in, each offering vivid pictures of nights spent at dance clubs, beach bonfires, party boats, poetry slams, pool halls, and many other hotspots. Suddenly it dawned on us that this had all the makings of a great story. So we created the assignment. We picked five news team reporters to bring their Saturday nights to life for us. They'd supply the action. We'd supply the photographers. And to make the stories even more exciting, we decided to pair our professional photographers with student shutterbugs. News team members agree that getting all of their friends together for their Saturday night was the hardest part of the job. They also agree on the easiest part, just having fun and ignoring the cameras, says San Francisco news team reporter, Lisa Macabasco. <laughs> that's me. So there you are um, in, in Teen People. And yeah, that's the whole premise of this story. So it's basically yeah. a collage of photographs shot by the professional photographers and also the student photographers. Uh, and then a, a little write-up, uh, a little timeline of, of each night out. So we have nights out in Miami, in... Uh, Mystic, Connecticut, Bloomfield, New Jersey, Phoenix, and San Francisco. It's funny that they make it sound so pure. Like, this is just what teens do. Like, they go to the stock hop and they, like, it, seems, it makes it sound very, like, 1950s for some reason, the way that they phrase that. When, like, totally. The use of the know, word bulletin, like, who who writes like that? No. <laughs> who speaks like yeah. that? <laughs> it's like his girl Friday or something. Right. <laughs> um, I would be super curious to know more about the intentions of the people of the magazine um, when they were creating it, like what their philosophies and goals were. But, I mean, yeah, obviously that makes it sound a lot more PG than it was. I mean, not ours. Ours was very PC. We went swing dancing. Um, <laughs> so that was just, that was something that my friends and I were doing at that time. I think, I think this was like very shortly after that like Gap ad, that Gap commercial with like the swing dancing came out. Right. And I remember it was like, oh, that looks so cool. And I think just a few years later, we like went to a, um, a studio in Petrero Hill in San Francisco and we took some classes and they were really friendly. And I just remember the group was really small. And so we were doing that kind of regularly, regularly during that time. Um, and so I think I pitched that idea. I now know was a pitch. <laughs> I think they were like, tell us what you do on Saturday nights. And I was like, well, this is what my friends and I do. Yeah. And then they sent a photographer. And I remember it was hard to ignore the photographer because, um, <gasps> Oh, sorry. my cat just jumped on my plant. Oh, um, oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of hard because like they're in your face and you're just like trying to be natural. Um, so yeah, but it was fun. That, yeah, that was what we were, we actually did. That wasn't staged. The kids like, they go out for ice cream in some of the other places. Um, See, that uh, is still pure, right? <laughs> yeah, they go out for dinner, they go dancing. There was this one group uh, the yeah. Phoenix group, they actually went to the airport. Oh, just to hang out. Yeah, they went to the airport. <laughs> so this is pre 9 11. This is 1999. <laughs> right. <laughs> they okay. went to the airport, and there was a photograph of them on the roof of the airport overlooking the gate. They went into the airport with signs that said, Welcome to Phoenix, and oh. like greeted random people coming off a flight from Mexico. <laughs> wow. Isn't that just the purest thing? Well, I think also I I admire that they chose cities that weren't just like New York, L.A., I don't know. Chicago. Chicago, right, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, whatever, Jersey City. They chose real. Well, I think it was probably also what, what those what those teens were doing in each city, but also they, tried, they chose some like suburban places, <laughs> um, which is real for a lot of teenagers. Um, so I admire that they were trying to like 
look at the full breadth of like the teenage experience. But I also wonder if, I guess probably most, I wonder if most of the subscribers were from worst suburban versus um, urban. And they would have had that data available to them to, yeah. to, to right. get that sense. Are you still in touch with any of the folks who are in this whole spread? Um, Jen, Crystal, uh, Yvonne? Yeah, Crystal and I live in New York. We don't live together, but she lives in New York. We hang out all the time. She's one of my best friends out here. We reconnected after moving out here. And it's so funny because like, we'll laugh about high school stuff and yeah, she's one of my best friends out here. Um, and yeah, I, can, I just can't even believe we've been friends for this long and now we live in the same city. The others, they live in San Francisco still. I saw a lot of them at our 20 year high school reunion, which was um, last summer. Wow. That was, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that was something. Um, but it was, it's, you know, the, the best part was being able to reconnect with friends I haven't seen in a long time. Mm. And yeah, I emailed them right before this, some of them to be like, hey, do you guys remember anything? And um, Lonnie, one of my friends said that she remembered that we, we liked trying new things. Like swing dancing was not really something a lot of like high schoolers were doing at that time, but we did. Yeah. We liked trying new things and, you know, in a group it's like more fun and yeah, that's what I remember about that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So this is the night at seven fifteen. you got, um, pizza at Goat Hill Pizza, um, on your way to the metronome ballroom, um, you peeked through the steamy windows at (laughs) Ali, Frisia, Yvonne, and Loni on the dance floor. Uh, Now, this is really wistful in this COVID era, but by 8.30, you were dancing with a hundred other energetic swingers, practicing the Charleston, uh, which is probably the hardest steps for beginners, you wrote. And there's like, like, imagine dancing in a ballroom with a hundred (laughs) people I know it's another time I know know. yeah (laughs) another time another place by midnight so you danced until midnight which is really sweet Uh, (laughs) with total strangers it says we left the metronome and headed across town to Mel's drive-in an old-fashioned diner after late night snacks we were ready to go home and crash exclamation mark that is completely true. Yeah, Mel's Drive-In is like one of those, yeah, old 1950s, like fast times at Ridgemont High, like drive throughs And we would hang out there a lot. That was not just for this. Like we would hang out there a lot. We would also go to Goat Hill Pizza a lot. I hope they're still around in Potrero Hill. They have a wonderful, they have great pizzas there too. So mm-hmm. this was stuff we really did. This was like not just for the camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting also looking at the clothing. Um, I see a lot of cargo pants. Um, I see uh, I see some branded t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Old Navy, Aeropostale. Yeah, like Abercrombie and Fish. This is a yeah. big, this is mm-hmm. the era, yeah. Yes. Cargo pants, for sure, yeah. Cargo pants, lots of cargo pants. I think you're in cargo pants, and it looks like mm-hmm. you've got a sort of like Patagonia fleece vest on as well. Yes. It's so funny because I've been wanting to buy a Patagonia fleece <laughs> these days because um, they're, they're back. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think also San Francisco weather is very cool. People like wearing fleece in San Francisco year-round. And that, like, if you buy one, it, you can wear it for the rest of your life. Yeah. There's a lot of T-shirts and cardigans. Yeah. And it's yeah. that Gap aesthetic that you mentioned, like, because I remember that Gap ad. Um, I'm trying to remember yeah. if... Cause I think they had a West side story ad, but then they also had a, an ad that was in a studio and it was them swing dancing and wearing like, like ankle socks and sort of um, khakis. I'm just, I'm getting a lot of nineties vibes from, from the outfits here. Definitely. But the nineties vibes I was really into were like baby clips, like the baby. Yeah. Baby yes. clips. I still love clips, like hair accessories. I just bought them actually. Yeah, and, and then, they're so back right now. Yes, and also, like, this might have been more early 90s, but, like, T-shirt under the slip dress. I yes. love that look. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of stuff, um, I think I think you and Diana also talked about this. A lot of 90s fashion is really back, for sure, for sure, yes. yeah. So, like, on Vogue, when, at Vogue, when we do stories about 90s fashion, <laughs> I can definitely appreciate the stuff that they're talking about. Or, like, um, you know the JFK Jr. Um, 
uh, what was her name? Carolyn Bissett Kennedy. Carolyn Bissett Kennedy, like yes. purple aesthetic. Yeah, the like flip dress, the mm-hmm. like Calvin Klein, like early 90s. I was like, that was when I was like, it's, it's really aspirational, right? Because you yes. can't wear, you can't wear, you can't be like 10 or, or like 12 and wear that stuff. Um, <laughs> so it's fun to be an adult now and be able to wear like my flip dress or, or I don't know. Mm. Uh, wear all the 90s things I wanted to wear at that time. It's funny because I was talking with Diana about 90s fashion as if it was monolithic. And and she was describing a 90s fashion that, you know, was much more informed by hip hop culture. Yeah, um, yeah. She was describing the, the, the baby fat, the Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but like, in my head, when I think of 90s fashion, I think of Carolyn Bissette Kennedy. <laughs> and so it's it's funny because 90s fashion is back, but that means so many different things to so many different people now. And I think that's the beauty of it because it's so uh, accessible. And that's that's what I said to Diana. I just feel like that look, I think I said that look, but what I should have said was all of those looks are so accessible. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Um about the accessibility, yeah, of 90s fashion. Actually, Vogue is doing a podcast about um, the 90s generally. So I think cool. you're right, which is which is that there is there was the, the look look from the early 90s, which might have been more like grunge, and then the later mm-hmm. 90s, which might have been more like Aaliyah is someone I think about a lot when I think of 90s fashion. I also think of like Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. um, with like yeah. the baby barrettes and stuff. Yes. So, and the Spice Girls, right, like, that like yeah, camp kind of 60s throwback that the Spice Girls were into. Yeah. And I wonder if it is because like it, there is such a gamut mm. that that's what makes it so accessible. Yeah, I think so. I so how did you get involved with Teen People as one of these reporters? I was a big magazine reader um, when I was younger. I guess, yeah, when I was younger, I guess I still am. Um, but I was super into magazines like as a object so I kept all my magazines as well I would like Mm. make collages and cut out I was also like read them from cover to cover I had to read every word of every story I just remember (laughs) now like like reading about like like dating a divorced man or or, like what do you do with the kids and it was like why did I read that like that obviously doesn't apply to me um (laughs) so I was just very fully absorbed in magazines when I was younger and then I guess I must have um also, okay, so I guess this was 1999, so I was 18, and at that point, like, the teen wave of, like, um, teenie bopper, like, boy bands and, like, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, Huge. this was, like, really the, yeah, the peak time of those, um, and I think there was also all the, like, films, like, um, She's All That, um, Can't Hardly Wait, this was, Ten like, Things a real I Hate About You. Yeah, 10 Things I Hate. That's, like, one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> this was, like, a real resurgence of, like, teen culture in in American society, I feel. I feel like teens always think that, too. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's what speaks to that was, like, they created this magazine. They created, like, a teen edition of People magazine to speak to this market. So I think that, that there must have been some data, as we've talked about, like, proving that this would be a lucrative endeavor for them mm-hmm. so um being a part of that that group um I think I must have heard about it somehow and I think they they were like hey we're looking for in the magazine they were they put it I think there was an ad or something about we're looking for new team members you had to apply and I I remember applying like um I was very confident at writing like little essays about myself or you know you always have to write like your personal statement like you have to write these like you know, 500,000 words, <laughs> little things. It's like in high school, you're always having to do that. And I yes. felt like I was pretty good at that at the time. Like, um, I felt like I had a very clear tone about my writing. Um, I was the editor in chief of my high school newspaper. And um, I also had like a column in the high school newspaper. And so I was very comfortable with like writing in my, in my writing voice. I was comfortable in my writing voice. And so I wrote a little bit about me and like why I thought I should be a a news team member. And I think already at that time, I was very clear that I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to go into journalism. So that was, I think, another problem. That was definitely something I included. Um, and they accepted me, and I think it was 30 other. There might have, I'm not sure, you might know that. Um, but yeah, 
maybe no fewer than 20, but maybe no more than 50 news team members from around the whole country. And this was one of the few things, this was one of the few actual assignments that I did um, this typical Saturday night out. I can't remember. They would ask us like a few other things, like, can you get a quote from one of your friends? What we were basically doing now, I know, is we were being stringers. That's the term. It's like stringer is someone who just is on the ground and will get a few quotes or do some reporting. And someone back at wherever the publication is based will put it, will like integrate into the story. Mm-hmm. But that, but you wouldn't get a byline. You would just be helping the main reporter. And so that is sort of what we did, which was stringing. And also sometimes we would help them with um, box pop is what it's called. It's just like talking to people on the street mm-hmm. about whatever question of the of the day. Um, and then and then they would kind of assemble it to look like this is what people around the country are saying about this topic. So that was just like sort of the things that we did. But this was the first where we it was like, oh, wow, my face is in the magazine and like my <laughs> name is in the magazine. And like I did reporting or like I wrote this very, very tiny blurb about it. Um, is this the first byline you had in print apart from your high school newspaper? <laughs> no, I mean, I, um, maybe at like a national publication. Yeah, maybe at a national publication. But I also was involved in like newspapers when I like community newspapers, um, San Francisco newspapers at that time. But yeah, this was probably the highest profile thing I had done at that point, for sure. Nice. I bet that felt good to see it in retrospect. Yeah, definitely. I emailed some of my friends that were in the article and they were like, wow, we thought it was so cool to be in like this national magazine. And it was like, it was really cool. And I think looking back on it now, I don't know at the moment, but it's so um, important to me to like represent Asian Americans in in media. And so to see a whole page of like Asian American, me and my friends, Asian American teens doing something, doing just like what we normally did and um, being like average American teens, um, that's powerful. Now I feel like that's very powerful. Um, I didn't, I wasn't so intentional about it back then. It was like what me and my friends did, but um, yeah. I got the impression uh, from from what I've read about how the magazine was created and from what Karen Levis told me, because she was in there, she was one of their first interns. I got the impression that diversity was uh, very important to the magazine's leadership and that they wanted to see that reflected in the pages. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I didn't I didn't know that, but looking back, it makes sense. Like, yeah, you're right. There was definitely like gender diversity or like, like, like sexual preference diversity um, and, you know, diversity of locations. So I, yeah. And then I think Diana was also saying that as well, that like they, they, they made more of an effort to have diversity. So that's Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. 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 Diana was part of their official internship program. They didn't have an internship program when Karen was there. Um, She got in because she knew Richard Stolle, who was the the founding editor of People magazine. But Diana told me, yes, she was there in, I think, 1999 um, on an internship that was specifically for people of color in in journalism. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. But also those those internships are super competitive. I, I remember that for sure. Um, if you were a journalist of color, it was super competitive. I'm sure I applied for a bunch of those internships too. And I was like, I mean, yeah, you're competing with everyone across the whole country. So mm. it's competitive. <laughs> mm. Mm. And uh, the job market uh, must be just as competitive, eh? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I feel like uh, it is about who you know. It's good, especially now networking, or I guess it might have always been like this in any field. Networking is really big, who you know. Um, you're as likely to get a job through someone that you know as just cold applying, if not more, more likely. So, yeah. And right now you work for Vogue.com? I, yeah, I work for Vogue.com. I'm the research editor for Vogue.com. I've been there almost five years. This is going to be my fifth year. And so the mornings are busy. Um, so just waking up and looking at what stories we have today and trying to get started on a few of them. So, yeah. What stories do you have today? 
stories so far today, we had a number of reviews, like fashion reviews. So um, fashion month, fashion week is a month. <laughs> um, it just ended. Um, but we have a few like straggler reviews. Um, oh, it's Amazon Prime Day. So we have a lot of content around like, like suggestions about what to buy from Amazon on Prime Day. Um, and I, with the Amy Coney Barrett um, nomination, we've been doing a lot of coverage on that and also the election in general. So both of those things, I feel like just this month has been like the perfect storm of news. Fact-checking was my first job out of journalism school. And it's just something kind of I had in my back pocket for a while. I enjoyed it fine, but like writing and editing is, is something I've always wanted to really focus on more. Um, so I did fact checking for various magazines, like on the side freelance. And then I saw a job at Vogue open up and I knew that one of the people I had worked with at this freelance um, gig, she worked at Vogue. And so I reached out to her and I said, hey, there's this job. Um, what, like, what do you know about it? Could, could you tell me more about it? And she said, that job is filled actually, but would you consider taking my job? And I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> and so, um, so I think, I think what happened was I started by working a fashion week, which is super stressful. We used to work up until 3 a.m., like waiting for stories to come in. Um, and this was on top of a job. I, I was already working part-time or full-time. I was just really burning it on both ends. This was just five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was working as a social media manager and then at the same time freelancing with Vogue a little bit. And then, and then they took me on as like a, as like a temp, temp to hire, I guess, is maybe what they call it. I wasn't sure I was going to be hired on. It was like a three month temporary thing. I had to leave my other job and then started this job. And yeah. It was really, really stressful at the time. It's gotten slightly less stressful now because um, the way they restructured things, I guess also the nature of media changes every all the time too. I, I would definitely say that like fact-checking took on more importance after President Trump got elected. Before that, it used to be like, okay, I'm a fact-checker, I work at Vogue. And then that used to mean like, okay, fashion. And then after President Trump got elected, and then also after the Me Too movement, I felt like my job took on a, like a lot more importance. We were running posts that really needed to be fact-checked. Um, we were doing stories with original reporting with women who had experienced sexual assault, experienced um, sexual harassment, um, um, making claims against men in power, and that needed to be fact-checked. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, in order to avoid, you know, lawsuits against the company mm -hmm. and just for accuracy. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. it took on more important importance in terms of um, libel. So that was like gratifying because before that people maybe didn't take so seriously fact checking. Um, I remember one of the interviews I listened to you, she mentioned fact checking. I think yeah. it was Karen. Yeah, yeah it was Karen. she mentioned yeah. fact checking as like, yeah. Um, I think that people don't understand how serious fact-checking is, even pre-2016, um, <laughs> which is that, yeah, even even something like checking the Spice Girls' names, that needs to be fact-checked by two people just because it goes into print, and you don't want to make an error on someone's name. Yeah. That's the worst kind of error, to, a name error. It's like, it's like, wow. Like, if I'm a reader and I see, and I see a typo, I'm like, that's It's so basic. Really yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it drags down the re like the credibility of your publication. So mm -hmm. so when I heard that, I was like, I believe it. Um, mm -hmm. Now I think things are changing a little bit because budgets are really getting slashed so that sometimes maybe only one person can check it or maybe we rely on the editor to check that, right? I mean, it seems like something the editor should be able to do. Um, but I would definitely say that in these times, um, fact-checking is becoming less and less mandatory for all publications. I mean, I've worked at several publications that did not have separate fact-checkers, probably should have, but I mean, you're wow. taking a real leap of, yeah, you're taking a real <laughs> leap of trust with your writer and your editor. Um, but I think also people see it as like, 
um, you know, it, it is an additional expense. So yeah, yeah. but you get what you pay for, right? (laughs) I think so. I mean, I think so. That's, that's, yeah, I really respect publications that have fact checkers of any kind, even if it's um, freelance or just one fact checker and not two. I mean, it means that you care about getting things right, but also, um, but also like, because we're a digital publication, I think that also digital publications maybe have a little more wiggle room because it's not like set in stone going out to like thousands <laughs> of subscribers. Like we change things um, frequently and, and I know digital publications change errors frequently. So mm. I guess the problem, the flip side of that not being set in stone is that the first version can get, can go viral and people talk about it and then the correction comes and it doesn't get as much traction as the first article. Absolutely, absolutely. And not just corrections, but like follow ups, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Um, like, whatever happened to that story? What was the result of that, of that one story that we heard so much about? It could be anything. Um, and then you think back and you're like, I don't know how that was resolved. You just heard about the conflict and then you don't hear about the resolution. I have a lot of friends too that, that they're like, hey, if I say something to a reporter, they can't just write that, right? And I'm like, yes, that is actually what, like, even just, even you're just chatting with me at a party, you say something to me, yes, it's all on the record. So, like, on the record is a big thing I realize that people don't understand. So I'm like, okay, if you don't want people to to write or report what you say, you can say off the record. You have to say it before you say it, not after. (laughs) You have to be very clear about, like, what what like on background means or for attribution like I and that was really stunning to me that people didn't know that I guess I was like like don't like all the president's men or like anything any like (laughs) old old Washington like movie but yeah I just watched the front page the other day for the first time uh Jack Lemmon and and Walter Matthau was on Turner Classic Movies the other night I saw it and it was hilarious but it was also really revealing Carol Burnett was in it randomly (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'll check it out. I'll, yeah. I do love Turner Classic movies. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. Um, uh, so I see cats strolling around. Yes, I have three kittens at the moment. Aww. We started fostering them um, in August, I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah, this, it's like this is how we got some, we got some pandemic pets. Um, Yay. Yeah, and this is the first time I've ever had a pet, actually. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, um, and I was like, I was only, I was only almost forty when I had my first pet. I mean, I've had pets that were like fish or amphibians or whatever, mm. but um, so this was entirely my boyfriend's idea. He was like, "Let's get some cats." He's like, "You're home all day. We could take care of them." And I was like, "Okay, but this is entirely your gambit. Like, I will provide support." So it's been, I guess, two months, and we're, we started interviewing some potential foster. Um, some potential permanent homes, but mm-hmm. it's been so sad to think about them leaving. Yeah. yeah I feel like I'm very attached to them. But yeah, Aww. it's been great to, it's been great to like with all the news or whatever stress in your life. I and mean, then you could take like a five minute like petting break or like a cuddle yeah. break. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are their names? Um, we, they, we just call them by what color they are. We mm-hmm. call them gray and black and white. Um, yeah. Just yeah. to keep some arm's length. Not that as much as I feel like having to remember another, another thing would maybe be too much. Like, especially at the beginning when they were so, they were so small, they were like, they were like five inches. And, um, like we were just like, we would, we would have to be like, can you like grab white? And, you know, Mm. you couldn't be like, like, like grab fluffy. And it was like, which one's Which fluffy? One? You know, <laughs> so you just needed so, some code names, really. Exactly. It was like like almost a mnemonic. Yeah, it was just like keep it keep it simple. But I guess you're probably right. It probably was also like like don't get too involved with them. Mm. But we are keeping one of them. We're keeping the gray guy. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Are well, you? Do you have cats? I don't have any cats. Um, I love cats, though. I've I've always loved cats and. <laughs> Uh, my mom has cats, so I get some cat time when I when I go see her. Um, but I was looking at your Instagram feed, and I realized we have a couple things in common. We love cats, okay. and we love Adam Driver. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So, 
to make this more relevant, I feel like fan culture is something I've always been interested in since I was a teenager. And I've, I've talked to my partner about this and he's like, I'm not a fan of people the way you are. You're like pretty into them. I'm like, yes. When I'm like into them, I'm like into them. <laughs> so Adam Driver was someone pre-quarantine that I was very like, okay. And it's funny because um, I watched all of Girls and I was never, I mean, I thought he was great. Um, I liked the show a lot. But then it was only last year when I think he was in so many movies that I was yeah. like, okay, okay. <laughs> and then I was like very into him. Um, yeah, they have this like, this like huge poster of him in Condé Nast um, offices because he was on the cover of Vanity Fair. And so I took a photo with that. Uh, I think he was like dressed as like um, Kylo Ren. Yeah, Kylo yeah. Ren. He was dressed as Kylo Ren. I'm not as big a fan of the Star Wars movies, but because I'm not so big a Star Wars fan, I know that the Adam Driver fans say that he was most buff during <laughs> The Last Jedi. I think uh, the last. Yeah, the, that's the second of the three. Okay. Yep. He I'm had a shirtless sure. scene. In yes, that. he had the shirtless oh. scene, right. Yeah. So then he was also filming girls at the same time. So people, when they see shots of him during that time in girls, they're always like, um, TLJ, TLJ time. <laughs> That's like the code for like, he was really, cause like you can kind of see him like under his shirt. He's like very, you can tell he's like, he looks way more built than other seasons. Other seasons, he looks very like scrawny hipster mm-hmm. guy. I think they also say that Ryan Johnson really appreciates what like his like sexiness, whereas the other ones maybe don't. Uh, the other directors of the trilogy mm-hmm. didn't appreciate his sexiness. I don't know. I don't know anything. This is what <laughs> I read on the on my yeah. the message boards. <laughs> yes, on the boards. <laughs> oh no, I'm like totally outed. It's okay. I guess. I guess it's about being like proud of who you are. No, like you don't need to be embarrassed about anything. No, I'm glad we talked about Adam Driver because I did see that Instagram picture of you with the huge picture at Condé Nast. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, it's, let's talk about Adam Driver. Um, 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 um. So you talked a little bit about how you knew from an early age that you wanted to be a journalist. Uh, so I was wondering what inspired you to become a journalist? Um, I was a big reader when I was young. I feel like this is a very common story among people that work with words or language or books, um, the written stories, I guess, is like, I loved reading when I was a kid. Like I had a, I had a little light I would take with me in the car so I could read in the car. And I remember everyone was like, don't do that. You're going to ruin your eyes. You're going to get car sick. I don't get car sick, knock on wood, but my <laughs> eyes are, I'm almost blind. I'm almost <laughs> legally blind. Oh no. So they were right. Um, but that's how, like, that's how addicted I was to reading. I just loved reading. Um, fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Mm-hmm. Fiction, yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, it starts with, like, the Babysitter's Club. Yes. And then it's, like, um, Anne of Green Gables. And then yes. I remember I read Gone with the Wind after I saw Gone with the Wind. I read The Godfather after I saw The Godfather. It was a lot of, like, I'll see a movie and then I'll read the book. Mm. Um so I just always loved reading and then I realized I liked writing a lot. And then, so, you know, I was more encouraged to like maybe become a writer. And then when I went to high school, my high school um, has a really good um, journalism program. They still do. It, it's like a award-winning journalism program. And they really teach you real fundamentals of reporting and writing and editing and you're really held to like the same standards you are today. Um, I, I did that. And that was when I was like, okay, I think this is, this is it. Um, and especially, yeah, like I said, being so um, immersed in magazines, uh, I think I like, it kind of all came together in high school um, as like where I wanted to, the path I wanted to pursue. Yeah. You seem to have a, a very broad um interest in terms of the topics uh, that you write about that's exactly what I say 
when I go to parties and people are, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm a journalist. And they're like, what, okay, what's your, what's your field or what's your specialty? And I'm like, very broad range of <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I know that they say you should specialize in one thing. I just don't like, I can't, um, I have to write about things that I'm interested in and it could be a lot of different, it's a lot of different things. And I kind of like it that way, even though it makes it hard to, it makes it hard to write regularly. It makes it hard to brand yourself as a writer of X. Um, mm. I guess I would say in general, like in general culture is what I like writing about. So food, film, TV, fashion. Um, but, but those things on its own combined with stuff like politics, like identities, race, um, history. So that's the long answer. But yeah, that's the stuff I'm interested in. Yeah. So the, the interests you've described as, as you were describing all the interests, I was like, well, those things connect with so many other broader issues. Um, and, and I've seen that in, in some of the, the, the written pieces that you've, you've produced, um, that you're, you're, you're seem interested in, in bigger subjects than just, you know, fashion, fashion and, or food and, and we've certainly seen that this year in all the years when the Black Lives Matter movement has had a resurgence where, uh, politics, and pop culture come together. And, and maybe we realize that actually, were they ever really two separate things? No, they're, they're totally. all, they've always been one thing. Totally, absolutely. I guess I appreciate more that this year it's really been brought to the, yeah, the connections between those things have really been surfaced, like brought to the surface. And people are um, really highlighting and spotlighting the ways that like art is political and, um, and yeah, I get, I think also what I was going to say was I was really interested in race stuff for a long time. Um, I minored in ethnic studies when I was at UC Berkeley. So I've just been really interested in race stuff for a long time. But it's funny that only in the past few years has race stuff not been considered like a totally separate other thing that would be more of like a niche interest. Um, so I feel like I've been prepared for the Black Lives Matter movement to happen. I've been prepared for Obama to become president. I, I never thought I would see a Black president in my lifetime. I'm prepared for like the racial reckoning because this, these have been things that I've been thinking about my entire adult life. Um, and I love this opportunity that like everyone's thinking about all these things at the same time. And and there's still so much to learn, um, even for people who have a background in these things. Like, you know, I graduated from college in 2003. Like, that's almost 20 years ago. So a lot more has happened <laughs> since then. So it's been great to take this time to kind of, like, brush up on how things have changed, what hasn't changed, um, but also, like, how to address things say with with your friends your coworkers. that's been a big education of like how can I support my black coworkers better um and also thinking a lot about where Asian Americans fit in this too so that's a lot of what I've been thinking about this year mm. it's interesting that we're talking about teen people because teen vogue has become a leader um in in young media in the last yes. few years for Definitely. its reporting on politics. Yes, we um, we used to sit right by them and uh, I have so much respect for that publication and what they do. Um, a colleague of mine, she's the research editor for them. They do so much um, real reporting, like hard hitting exposés, real informative stuff. Um, so yeah, I guess I kind of see teen people as like, the germ of the idea of what, of what Teen Vogue became, right? Um, I don't know if they would, <laughs> I don't know what they would say to that. I'm curious, I guess, but, you know, that's a great publication. Um, and they're, they're, people think that they speak only to teens, but they do not. They speak 
to adults, like they run stories that, that Vogue would run um, or that almost any publication would run. And if you take the time to actually look through their content, they don't speak down to anyone. Um, I would say they, they're helping to inform people that probably could use some more education about how to speak about gender, about race, about class, um, about you know violence, about all the, the really salient topics of our day, climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have a lot of respect for what they're doing. Where do you see your career going from here? Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, it's like, I try not to think about this every day. Um, I don't know. I'm like, I, I'm trying to be more intentional about, about what happens in my career. As whereas I feel like for the past 20 years, I'm more of like a, see what happens like you never know what's going to happen like just I'm the like the leaf that's floating along in the stream and being like buffeted by the currents and stuff but I feel like at this age I should really be more intentional so um but I think also I always had that association with magazines of like glamour and um that was like a big enticement for me um and now I work at the World Trade Center and Kanye Nas offices are like, you know, sparkling. And so I understand when you, you know, you're, you're interviewing people and they're talking about going to the offices and like, oh, it seems so glamorous. But I also wonder if that's like going to be a vestige of the old days, like because of COVID now, right? Like I know my company is talking now about working remotely, like most of the time, or like only coming in when you have to, and like just having a much smaller footprint of the office of like, like, yeah, what is office culture even going to be? And so is that glamour of like magazine offices, Avenue of the Americas, World Trade Center, is that, has that all been swept away too? Hmm. Yeah, that's what Diana uh, talked with me about, because um, she said that team people had their own floor and I think the floor above them was in style. And then there was Newsweek. And so like, imagine having that much real estate. Uh, there's gotta be people yeah. in, at Vogue, like higher up people who are tearing their hair out about how much money they're spending for a floor in, in, on the World Trade Center um, <laughs> when yeah. no one's coming no. into the office anymore. <laughs> no, and we have like nine floors or something. Oh my God. We have all of all of our brands are stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Wow. So I think, and I, yeah, no, I know that that's the biggest threat for the wow. company. So I think they're just, they're, yeah, they were scrambling to try to figure it out. So yeah. Wow. I mean, who knows what, what magazine office culture is going to look like. After. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have you been doing through COVID? I've been good. Um, I would say now and then I get weary of like, you know, working inside and we don't Mm -hmm. have a like we have a very small apartment we live in Jackson Heights in Queens Mm -hmm. and that was like considered like the epicenter of the epicenter because we're Mm -hmm. we're very close to Elmhurst which was also which was like considered the epicenter of the epicenter like that Elmhurst hospital is where um, that's where all the bodies are being taken all the coronavirus patients and so um, in the like depth of lockdown I I just remember it was so quiet outside like that's when my like grandchildren, imaginary grandchildren ask me like, what was lockdown like? I'll, it's like the silence. I'll remember that forever. Um, the silence on the street of New York. You never hear, you never hear silence on, in New York like that. So it was like no cars, no people talking loudly, no honking, no people playing music from cars. Mm-hmm. And that's actually how I started know that like life was coming back to like this neighborhood is like when you started to hear those things like people talking on the street laughing on the street people playing music um honking now we hear honking all the time (laughs) Um, but you know the days of lockdown that was scary because like we had no idea how it was transmitted really I just remember coming home like I go for a run every night that's just like my once a day to like get out of the house Mm. um I go for a run and then when I come back, I remember during that time, we would wipe down everything. We would, you know, sanitize the doorknobs, like all the handles. And we don't do that as much anymore because like, you know, now we know it's, it's transmitted through air. Yeah. Um, but that's what lockdown, like I remember, and like so many people texting me out of the blue, like, hey, how are you guys doing? And it made me, it started to make me feel like, oh, wow, people think, 
people people think there's something wrong with New York or people think New York is there's something people are asking makes me feel like there should be something I should tell them so I feel like proud now that like you know we got through this and I feel so much closer to my community um to my Jackson Heights neighbors you know we have like um, a community fridge where people put food for people that need it That's we awesome. have like a clothes a free clothes swap now um we have a book a bookstore um uh on the farmer's market every sunday people will come and put out books and you can i think they're selling books actually that's a really cool new thing that's happened so you just see like all the ingenuity that's happened in our community and um it's really made me yeah feel so proud to be here and be a part of this uh, i think we've only lived here seven years mm. but yeah that was something i didn't feel that much before but i feel so much stronger now nice and i would imagine professionally it's been interesting or challenging just the all the events that have been canceled this year like there was no met gala yeah was there everyone was no at vogue freaking out when they canceled the met gala like what are we gonna do <laughs> i don't i think it was more like pivot um like they they were more like okay we're gonna do this like I think they did like you know online events but that was early in the early in the lockdown where people I think now people are getting a lot more creative with with um virtual events that's been really cool to see yes um but yeah I mean I think the great thing about Vogue is like they're always they're always like they don't let anything get them down (laughs) like we don't I don't know like you know, always trying to be optimistic and like, look at the news, like look at what's new and what's next. And, you know, for a long time, we were highlighting people that was doing really good things um, to contribute to the pandemic and, and aid and support. So yeah, it has been really interesting, but yeah, mm-hmm. having to do it all from this tiny apartment, it's <laughs> been a lot. So we, we went on some car trips. That's been great. And then nice. the kittens have been great. So awesome. yeah, we're doing like small things we can to like stay normal (laughs) but also it's like who knows what media is going to look like after this or like it's changed so much almost every few years something changes like I said even since I've been at Vogue.com the beginning is so much different from what it's like now I remember there's a there was like that there's like a pivot to video everyone thinks like video is going to be the next big thing and then my people think social media is going to be the next big thing so I guess I'm always just like trying to keep an eye on like what how the landscape is changing and um, what my interests are. And then also like what skills I have and then what skills I want to learn. Actually podcasting was something I was really interested in for a while. Mm. Um, I I, like did a podcast with like a friend and mine, like maybe 15 years ago. We were just like, (laughs) just like tit chat about like various topics. And I was like, Oh, well, that's the kind of thing that's blowing up on, on Twitter right now. Like there's a, really fun podcast I'm listening to called You're Wrong About and they're doing a yes. series on Princess Diana right now. I and saw that. It's I just saw, the two of them chatting and, and it's so fun. I, you know, I haven't heard it. It's been on the top of my list because also a lot of people have been recommending it mm-hmm. and like the Royals is something I'm really interested in too. So I really want to listen to that. I've been like saving it, but it's good. It's really it's good. good. It's, and okay. like each episode is like an hour and a half long. I swear it doesn't feel like an hour and a half. <laughs> I saw it like the length I was like wow that's brave of them to because you know I'm new to podcasting I did a little bit of research about how long should an episode be every time an episode creeps up to an hour I'm like oh no will anyone listen so that's kind of for me that's like expanding my kind of definitions of what a podcast could be and they were just profiled in the New Yorker magazine I'm super jealous Ah. You know those two elderly Muppets on yeah, the Muppet yeah, yeah. show that yeah. complain? Yeah. So they were described as like a millennial version of those two. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I, I can't wait to listen, yeah. I feel like they should do... I, I had a Jackie Kennedy phase when I was in my teens. Loved Jackie Kennedy. And I, like, I really appreciated her for her interest in history, uh, for her sense of style, obviously, yeah. for her strength uh, to go through what she did to not only survive a media environment, which was you know, rivaling what we have today, but like also obviously the, the murder of her husband in, in front of her. Yeah. Um, no, we do a lot of stories about Jackie Kennedy mm. and um, she was very smart and very yes. savvy about the media. Um, the, yes. That whole um, 
the White House like decor tour, the yes. like special she did. Like she was incredibly smart. I think that maybe I think you're right. They should do an episode about her because I feel like she doesn't get enough credit enough for being credit. so smart and savvy and like in this political world and like, you know, media manipulation and yeah. 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 When she was pregnant with I think it was John Jr was the same time as her husband was was running for election um, the first time. And um, she was like in a scrum. And a journalist asked her, is your baby due before uh, inauguration day? And she just batted her eyelashes and she went, when's inauguration day? <laughs> so like that was her way of not answering the question. It was perfect. It was badass. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, like that's a really rude question. It's a really personal question to ask of of someone, especially like she she struggled with her pregnancies. She lost, I think, two of her pregnancies. Um, oh, I didn't know that. So, like, to to be to experience to go through that kind of questioning, she handled it so well. But I also the, the other thing that I love about her is that at the end of her life, she got a job in publishing and became an acquisitions editor. And she didn't have to do that. She didn't need the money, but she wanted to be involved in, in the book industry and, and produce um, things that made people think. So I, I have a yeah. lot of respect for that. Yeah, she doesn't seem like someone who was like content with just being like, you know, a socialite. socialite. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, what, would your, what would your advice be for um, someone getting into journalism today? Oh, wow. Um, My advice to someone getting involved in journalism today was, I thought the question was going to be, what, what's your advice for someone with, for your uh, 17-year-old self? Is that a separate question or is that the same question? That's a separate question. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll ask that in it's a minute. The <laughs> it's the same answer. It's the same answer, which okay. is, um, like, stay true to yourself. Um, stay true to who you are and don't let anyone make you feel like who you are isn't worthwhile or isn't worth something that could be written about or, or um, just like stay true to who you are, stay true to what your interests are and don't be swayed by clicks or like by what you think publications want or what you think readers want. Um, follow what interests you and don't write bullshit. <laughs> That's my number one <laughs> rule is don't write bullshit. There is so much bullshit on the internet, especially in digital publications. And they're doing it for clicks or for easy traffic. And there's so much stuff out there that doesn't mean anything. And just don't be a part of that as much as you can help it. Hmm. What was your most fun experience at Team People? Oh, okay. So this is how I met NSYNC. <laughs> the one perk I can remember was that they had an anniversary party in Hollywood and they invited, I think they invited all the news team members. I'm pretty sure, but the, I was in San Francisco. So that was a pretty easy flight. So I went with my sister. We must've been, this must've just been shortly before this. Um, so must've been 17 um, yeah, must have been 17. I went my sister. She's three years older. So she was 20. We flew down from San Francisco to LA. We stayed at a hotel. I don't think they paid for that. And I do remember, oh no, they probably, they might've paid for the hotel because I remember there were some other news team members also staying in the hotel. And we took a car, I think to the limo. I don't know. <laughs> it was real fuzzy. They drove us to the party, which was in Hollywood. It was at a club. I don't remember the name. It must've been like, you know, a hot club. I don't know, I assume. And that was the venue for the party. There was like a red carpet. It was pretty small, I think. Um, but there were celebrities there. I remember I wore these like, these like platform silver boots. And I don't remember the rest of the getup, but I just remember these like clomper boots that were silver. I bought them on Hate Street in San Francisco. And it was like, you have very few occasions to wear like 
crazy thing. Even the prom, you're supposed to be pretty like prim and proper. So you wouldn't really wear that to the prom. Um, but I have always liked like, you know, more. I always, I am not like a minimalist fashion person. So <laughs> I've always liked more, a little bit. At the time it was like accessories. So shoes. So have some crazy shoes. So I remember these crazy boots. And then, so then we, in this nightclub, there was this party. I just remember it was very dark. There were some like teen celebrities. I don't remember any of them, but I do know Justin Timberlake and Daisy Chazé from Instinct were there. And, you know, everyone was just like mingling, like trying not to like stare at the celebrities, like trying to be cool. Um, I was talking to the other news team members about themselves and- But inside then, you were all combusting? I think so. I think it's like the whole experience, it was so like overstimulating, but you're just like mm. also trying to be cool, right? Cause like that's, now that I've been to some, actually fashion parties are like this too. Like, you know, be cool. Don't look at the celebrities. Just, like, <laughs> just be cool. Just be cool. So um, that's actually also good advice <laughs> for my be cool. Self. Just be cool. <laughs> um, and then at some point someone came over to us cause they knew we were like, with the team people news team and they were like, Hey, there's a VIP room. Do you guys want to come back? And I was like, and we were all like, of course. <laughs> and um, so we got allowed back into the VIP room, which is where the celebrities were like hanging out. Um, and I remember my sister couldn't come with me. And that was like, that's actually like the biggest memory I have is like feeling so sad that I couldn't bring my sister who had come with me and was Aww. just a few years older. She yeah. was just a few years older. And I remember they were literally like, no, sorry. And I was like, and so she had to wait for me Aww. outside in the party while we like <laughs> hung out in the back, like in the VIP room with like insane. Um, that's like the biggest regret, but I don't know if I would have done anything. <laughs> sorry, Lori. I still would have met <laughs> Justin really. Um, and so we met them and we like hung out with them. We like chatted with them for a while. Um, but then I remember we took a photo with them. This is my other biggest memory. We took a photo with them and, you know, it was before digital photography. So it was just like a camera photo. And I told the other news team member, I was like, hey, send that to me. She never sent it to me. <laughs> so there's no evidence that this happened. Oh, um, how awful. In my mind. Aww. I remember just like, hassling her for like almost it must have been a year about it like I would send her like follow-up emails this is like early early email like how are you and oh by the way can you send me that photo like I guess it would have been (laughs) it would have been like kind of a hassle right because you know she would have I don't know I just it was such a bummer that she never was like like because it meant so much back then right um it would be like now if I got a photo with Adam Driver right it's like it's something that's like it means a lot it means a lot and like I think if it were me I would have realized this meant a lot to this person like just throw her a bone but so yeah have you ever googled this person I wonder if she's still out there and still has your I don't remember her name because this oh, is when no. I was on a- this is when I was on AOL email right so oh, and AOL I don't know. is gone now I don't know if there's a way to get any back in it, but I also feel like just let it go. Just let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if she's out there. This could be your, you could help me with this. If you talk to any other news team members and they tell the story about going to LA, you can dig a little. This is, this can be, we can, we can work together. We'll talk offline about this. Yeah. Maybe we can do like a sort of follow up six months from now when you finally get your picture and like, Ooh, I can do a reveal. I can show it to you and you'll scream and it'll be awesome. Oh my God, this would be awesome. We could get it written up in the New Yorker. This yes, is it. Anna, this, this is it. This is it. Hey. This is how we get written up in the New Yorker. Oh my God. Okay. Okay, let's do it. We have to do Let's it. do this. Okay, so this is my new this is my new quest for you. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now this becomes like um mystery or what was that other podcast about? It's like answering mysteries. Oh, basically this is what I've become. It's not teen yeah. people anymore, it's unsolved mysteries. Right. I'm a mystery podcast now. Exactly. <laughs> well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Yes, I've thank loved you. it. Yeah, thank, thank you. you.
thanks for your interest and and the time. Well, congratulations to you. I mean, it's really, I will definitely recommend everyone to listen. And I'm sorry that this was so long that it's going to take you so long to edit. (laughs) No worries. Take care. Bye. Lisa was one of 35 Teen People News Team members, part of a core of young journalists who contributed some of their first bylines to Teen People magazine. Her reporting was part of the August 1999 issue, an issue that featured a range of stories, from celebrity horoscopes to first-person narratives from survivors of the Columbine school shooting in April of that year. Today, Lisa's based at Vogue.com, where a similarly broad editorial focus guides her work, But she still remembers that fateful evening when a fellow news team member took her photo with NSYNC. So if you've been hoarding a photo of a complete stranger posing with NSYNC for all these years, please get in touch. Until then, this is now an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Just kidding. It's still a Teen People podcast. Join me next time for a special guest, my first conversation with a longtime member of Teen People's staff. I speak with Zena Burns, former entertainment director at Teen People magazine and managing editor at teenpeople.com. She talks with me about hustling her way into a job at Teen People and how the magazine changed her life. In the meantime, stay safe. If you're an American, go vote. And we'll see you next time on Teen People Podcast.